Welcome back to Partnerships Unraveled, the podcast where we unravel the mysteries of partnerships and channel on a weekly basis. My name is Rick van der Bos and I'm the CEO and founder of Chenex. And I'm here together with Will Yaffe, CEO and founder of Titwit. Will, how are you doing today? Awesome. I'm loving Utrecht. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, you, you came here all the way from the US, or actually not, right? You, you just came from your holiday, uh, from what I heard. Holiday, quote unquote. I was working my butt off, <laughs> but no, it was awesome. Always nice to be in Europe and uh, had the chance to uh, be in Germany and in France and Spain and uh, uh, par- partially on business, partially uh, also for pleasure. So mixing it all up, but love it. Yeah, so great to hear. But it, it's what always happens, right? When you're on holiday, but still there's so much other stuff to do as well. That's uh, the life of an entrepreneur. I mean, you know, we're founders and uh, very exciting times in a uh, segment and in an industry like ecosystems. And so there's a lot happening. And, um, you know, the word is spreading. And so uh, the, the really exciting thing for me, at least, is it's spreading beyond IT. And we can talk a little bit more about that later. But now there's industries getting involved. Uh, and so very exciting times. It's, uh, it's hard to stay away, you know, for vacations. So no complaints. <laughs> yeah, so much is happening, right? Oh, yeah. We're going to talk all about partner enablement today. And we've been chatting a lot about this already. So I'm excited to share a bit more with our listeners. But maybe before we dive into the topic, I'd love to to share a bit more about you, Will. Like, can you share a bit more? How did you get involved in the channel with partnerships and eventually with enablement? And now your company did with actually, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, my I've been my entire career has been in IT, and uh, my uh, basically it it goes back to the first company I launched. And I'm a serial entrepreneur, and the first one I launched was in Latin America, believe it or not. Uh, straight out of an MBA in in the U.S., I uh, I decided to move to Latin America and launch a business there, and uh, uh, and that was my first introduction into the enterprise, uh, and specifically into a lot of the enablement workloads. Right, uh, that's how eventually I got into the partnering world because I was a partner, uh-huh. and I was a partner to some of the largest IT companies. Uh, the Microsofts of this world, the IBMs and, and uh, the Compacts at the time, et cetera, um, FileNets and et cetera. And, 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 and that's kind of how I came to it. Um, eventually, you know, I, I sold off the company and, um, and then started Tidwit a few years later after a sabbatical. And I decided to come at it from the partnering world, but using all the knowledge that I had gained from the enablement world. Um, and the enablement experience I had gained had been very industry focused. So it gave me kind of like a nice matrix, if you will, of partnering, enablement and industry. And, and that's really been, you know, the, uh, I guess, um, you know, the seeds that planted and, and grew into what Tidwit is today. And, and how would you explain partner enablement to people? What, what is the definition for you and why is it so important when you are working with partners? So I would divide partner enablement into the two words, right? Partners and enablement. And um, so let's start with the latter one, which is enablement. Enablement to me is all the functions that are needed to support eventual transaction, right? So it could be before a transaction is realized, during and after. Uh, So there's a, you know, in business, there's a continuous hum uh, that is needed to accompany the transaction, uh, and, and we're talking here transactions between organizations or between B2C or whatever. There's always something that 
you know, a buyer needs to learn about before they commit to a purchase. And that could be a small purchase, you know, you or I going into the a T-Mobile store or, or whatever mobile company and buying a phone that we want to research about first. Or it could be an enterprise wanting to buy an entire solution stack that, you know, has IaaS, PaaS, and, <clears throat> and SaaS. All of this requires kind of like knowledge to be gained. Uh, and in the meantime, you're interacting with a lot of people or with a lot of systems. So to me, enablement is everything that needs to happen to drive towards that enablement, um, that, excuse me, that transaction. Uh, so it's the before, yep. the during, and the after. You know, once you've sold, what is, it, what is it that you're doing in order to support it, you know, technical, all that kind of stuff, and to create new transactions. That to me is enablement. The partner element, which is the first uh, uh, part of partner enablement, is to try and do this through a channel. And the, the reason for this, and, and, and here I'd like to do a quick parenthesis, is I think, you know, the younger generations that came into the internet didn't really understand the partnering world very well because they came into the internet world, which was fundamentally B2C. Uh, Amazon kind of was all B2C. eBay is all B2C. Google is B2C. All of these huge names, Facebook is B2C, they're all B2C. And so the channel didn't really have a place but when the cloud came out, uh, now, you know, you started having people needing to sell to, you know, other businesses and all that kind of stuff. And, and they said, well, we could sell direct, but that's kind of hard. And so we need to go back to the channel model. And so you need to kind of enable or empower your partner in the same way that you would do your own organization and your staff. And so you bring those two words together and now you need to do a whole bunch of work, what we call workloads, uh, including what you guys do, which is like marketing, for example, and, and, and stuff like that. And, and what we do, which is like, you know, little, little learning and the skilling and all that kind of stuff, all the way to tech support and stuff like that. You need to put it all in a package and be able to deliver it, but through your channel. And you want to deliver it in the same effective way as you would in-house. And that is a big challenge. And we can talk about some of the challenges, but that is what fundamentally partner enablement is all about. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I think that's indeed, we also talk about this topic a lot in this podcast. And what we always talk about is you really need to look at it as the full customer journey and all the touch points that you have to get a to get a prospect from first contact all the way until fully implemented, a happy customer, renewing, upselling, etc. And there's so many touch points there. And I think what we see indeed a lot is that even from a if you are doing that purely from a direct sales perspective it's already very complex right we we also uh, at Genex at Titwit we are also selling to customers we're constantly mapping that but if you then need to train all those elements to your partners it brings a whole new set of complexities around that you bet and then you have to figure out okay I have partners that are transactional. I have partners that are more on the consulting side. I have partners that are more on the technology partnering. And so you start going to different segmentation of partners and each one needs to be really enabled very differently. So are you going to do it with Excel sheets? Are you going to be doing it with email? Uh, are you going to do it with portals, which you and I both are, you know, kind of have our beef with, which is like, you know, I mean, um, you can't really attract droves of people to a portal. I mean, here's an example, just to kind of land some things, and, and this might shock some people. Like some of our, you know, e the ecosystems that we work with, the enterprise ecosystems are massive in, in reach. And this is one of the things that differentiates them from workloads like Cosell. 
Cosell targets primarily uh, sales and alliance managers. And that's a subset within an organization. I mean, how many, let's say, what percentage of your staff could be sales and alliance, for example? Maybe 10%, maybe if if a lot, 15%. Yeah, correct. You still have 85 people, 85, excuse me, 85% of people that do other stuff. So Cosell can only target those people. Well, what about the 85%? Well, those need to be enabled, right, with other workloads, right? And, and, and so then you start looking at, okay, what am I going to do to enable that? And I love what you just said, which is that, you know, experience. So just like there's a customer experience, there has to be a partner experience. That partner experience cannot be delivered on your portal. Everybody tries to do that, and everybody's trying to sell their own partner experience, but it's impossible, and I'll tell you why. Because typically, partners don't deal with one vendor. So it's a, it's a one-to-many relationship between that partner and multiple vendors. If each one of those vendors is vying for the best partner experience, but completely isolated from all the other vendors and their best experience, the overall experience to that partner that has to go to 20 different portals, each one with a completely exogenous type of a of an experience is not that optimal. No. And so it becomes really a, a disadvantage. And, and I, I'd love to hear from you. I mean, I, I know you've, you've also kind of struggled to explain that to, to some of the customers as well. Yeah, it's uh, what really interests me now. I'm thinking also back to your introduction, and then I'll give my opinion on it as well, where you said indeed that your first business, actually you were a partner of IBM, Microsoft, Etc. Did that come from a little bit of your own frustration there as well? That 100%. you had to get all that enablement from different places and from multiple vendors? A hundred percent. And, you know, I love partners. Uh, and like I said, we were a partner for the longest time back in my previous company. And partners will give their heart out to the ISV, to their vendor. They will. Uh, and, but, but you have to kind of turn around and give them what they need. If they're smaller partners, then you can give them a one-size-fits-all solution. Once you get into the medium to the large partners, you can't do that. If you do that, it's to your own disadvantage because that means you're you know, suboptimally engaging with them. Let me give you an example. I was once having a conversation with Microsoft and HPE, two behemoths, two giants in our industry, in the IT industry, have been around forever. And I, it was the alliance managers at global level having this the conversation. It was a three-way conversation. And I asked uh, the HPE guy in front of the Microsoft guy, uh, how, you know, how big is, is HPE? He said, like 300,000 or 400,000. So then I asked him, well, how many people do you have going to Microsoft Partner Network, which was at the time called MPN? Um, he looked at that. He said, I think we have somewhere in the range of about 250 I said, you mean 250,000? He said, no, no, 250. I said, 200. So that's 0.1%. So that means 99.9% of HPEers are, that have a lot of interaction, at some, that have had a lot of interaction at some point or another with Microsoft, Microsoft has no idea about, and neither does HPE. That, to me, is a huge opportunity lost because that, to me, tells me that the two organizations are not ecosystemized enough to be able to have end-to-end visibility of the relationship. That is the kind of solution or pain point that we're trying to, to help solve. 
Yeah, correct. Uh, I think what I see there indeed is that we're always talking about that partner journey or customer journey and the, all the touch points and we need to enable them in every aspect. But what it's actually all about is removing the friction everywhere. So how can we make it as easy as possible for partners to do business with us? And that just requires a whole new way of thinking. And how am I going to l- deliver the right information to the right partner at the right time? And also make sure that I'm measuring what's working, yes or no, and therefore bringing them to the next level because that's it with enablement it never stops it's a continuous like continuous flow of updating your information of creating better content training and everything around that for your partners 100 percent. and to what you said you said deliver the right content to, to the right person at the right time there's one fourth element uh, i would add which is in the right place and that place to me uh, is the place that is optimal for the partner particularly when you're dealing with larger partners, uh, you want to go where they are uh, because they're not going to come to where you are. And so, and that has two advantages. One is you're delivering that dynamism that you just explained, um, you know, constantly to them because things are changing so rapidly now that the two to three year sales cycles that we had back in the early 2000s and 210s no longer exist. Now you have products being released every two weeks, every three weeks. So to expect people to come back every week to your place to check what's new is, is delusional. So the dynamism element is, uh, is really key. The second element that I would say is really, really important is the footprint. There is no portal in the world that will attract as much people as where the partner already is. So... If the partner is, I don't know, 5,000 employees or 3,000 or whatever it, they, they happen to be, or 10,000 or 100,000, they will never send their droves or their droves will never go to an outside portal in as much a quantity as they will their internal tools. And so the trick becomes to, del- to hit those two birds with a stone by delivering the enablement into their, into their systems. They become dynamic up to date all the time without that friction free that you just described, which I love. And the second is to maximize the footprint. You're doing it where the partner already is. Yeah. When I think about that, indeed, you see indeed those very large partners. So let's say that the global system integrators, the, 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 the IBMs, the Accentures, et cetera, they are so large, of course, that they, have a lot of say in that as well, that they can demand that from the vendors. Like I want it in my, uh, uh, in my own environment there. But what I actually find interesting when I think about it is there, you would almost say they are, they have such large departments, business units, completely focused towards that partner. You could say, Hey, they, they might be more eager to go to a portal than for example, the smaller partners, but you see that even they, don't do it right because it's just too much to manage but what i also really see is even with the smaller partners there we say well for them it works with one size fits all we give them a portal and they can come to it but they don't even have the resources to do so like they have even less resources to go there and to 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 engage with everything and i think that's that's an interesting thing to think about like how can we really look at that full partner ecosystem and enable them in the right way yeah, I mean, I like how you kind of uh, segmented the larger ones from the smaller ones. I think it they do have slightly different needs, but the, the end result is is what you just described it as is being almost the same. What 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 I've noticed is that so 
the consumerization of IT that happened in the 2000s affected how IT gets purchased. And that has major repercussions into, um, into enablement. The partners that want to do the transactions completely on their own and they're you know, resellers and stuff like that, those kinds of guys can continue doing it the old-fashioned way. However, if you look at the trends, the global trends of where IT investment is going, it's moving towards the service providers. A lot of money is moving away from those transactional uh, <clears throat> and moving into those large service providers. The service providers per se don't sell product. So now Microsoft can say, okay, well, hey, listen, if you want to come and buy licenses, just buy them you know, through your EA, your enterprise agreement, or buy them through, the, through my transactional portal or whatever. But the customer is looking for the deployments and the servicing and all that kind of stuff. So the transaction of the purchase becomes less important for that customer than all those servicing. That is where the servicing becomes multi-vendor or multi-solution because the Accentures and the IBMs and even the smaller ones, the smaller SIs and some of the uh, more avant-garde resellers, they're getting into solutions, which means they don't just sell a product. They sell a solution on top of that product. That solution might require services, might require multiple vendors, et cetera, et cetera. That automatically makes it almost impossible for them to transact, whether they're big or small on a single portal with everything they need. It just doesn't work. No, and I think that's where they need to, need to be enabled also to make that step and that shift from that more resale to service provider as well. But there's one question and that came to mind that I hear a lot when I'm having conversations with vendors uh, with their EMEA and global teams. It's around enablement and content specifically. And there's multiple forms of enablement, of course, marketing enablement, technical enablement, sales enablement. And then they often say, yeah, but we have so much difficulties. We don't have the resources to create enough content or personalized content based on verticals, product categories, etc. What kind of challenges do you hear there around that topic a lot? And, and what, what could be solutions for that towards the, the future? So I'll, I'll answer it in two ways. Uh, one is, so from a partner perspective, and then we can talk about from an ISV perspective. So let's start with the partner perspective. The partner is looking to minimize content development. Uh, they can't keep up. Uh, they can't, you know, they don't have the budget. Content is expensive to create. Uh, we're talking everything from a glossy all the way to a full-blown course. I mean, those cost a lot of money. Partners don't have budgets for that. And so they're looking to minimize development of content. So, so, so they want to get that from their correct. vendors, actually. Exactly. And so that's when ecosystems start playing such a huge role because they can save a ton of money, ton of time, a ton of resources to put together, you know, all those, you know, content. Like, for example, at any one point, uh, we have tens of thousands of digital assets flowing straight from Microsoft into a partner, right? Imagine if they had to create this. First of all, they're never going to be able to do it. You're never going to be able to create as much content as the as the, the vendor that actually owns the product, right? And so why why even do an effort? Now, what you can create is we kind of go with the 90-10 rule, right, in, in terms of content creation. Get 90% of your content from your provider and build on top of it the 10% that differentiates you, either your verticalization and stuff like that. But don't don't go and invest in 100% content because it's just a waste of time and money and you're never going to be able to succeed. 
So that's the partner side of things, right? On the vendor side, where what we're seeing a lot of, which is really, really cool, uh, and this is kind of like, I don't want want it to sound like a plug, but but in, in a way it is. The AI, the generative stuff that we're seeing is fascinating. Yeah, that's super interesting. Really. So now what we're seeing is because we have so much digital assets flowing through the Tidwit ecosystem, we're applying AI on top of those assets. So in the conversations that we've been having, which is very different um, with your B2C AI, which you don't know where it's getting the data from. You go to openai.com and you put in something on ChatGPT or you do it with a straight stack or an API. You don't really know what the, the brain is doing. With the Tidwit AI, you do because you're basically curating the content on the node and you only apply AI to that node. So you can, for example, have a ton of content flowing from AWS, and we're directly connected to, to, to AWS. And I'll say, I'll mention why I'm saying AWS specifically. Uh, and you can apply AI on AWS, which we have. We're the first company in the world to apply AI on all of AWS's courseware. It's no, nowhere else. We were, it was fairly easy for us to do because we were already integrated to the backends, okay? Now you can regenerate stuff. You could create assessments. You can create courseware. You could create, you could synthesize. You could do a lot of that stuff. The, the, the formula, the secret formula of what we did is not the AI. The brain is there, right? The secret formula was in the processing of all the content which we had invested years in. And so the conclusion here is that we believe B2B AI goes hand in hand with content. And you curate the content, you make it nodal, right? And then you apply AI on top. And that, you know, gives what we call through walled gardens, the security, sanitization, uh, accuracy, reliability, all that. And then you can go to, you know, to, to your node that's pulling stuff from AWS and you can ask, who's Jeff Bezos? It's going to tell you, I have no idea. I don't know. Because unless Jeff Bezos appears in one of the courses and, and you know, he's part of the content, otherwise it would just would not know. And that's what cus- customers, which is really funny, when we show them, you know, who's 